morning. We, we looked at verse 1, and because of the, because I was melting, basically, we didn't finish. <laughs> and look, in God's providence, we, we, we bought the units, but they're not going to be here till next Thursday. So God made it nice and cool for us. He wants you to have a nice long sermon. So let's turn our attention. Remember last week, last week, well, let's turn our attention to, to read the scriptures, brief summary, and then we'll get right into the text. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Most assuredly I say to you, verily, verily, amen, amen, truly, truly. That's what most assuredly means. This is a very solemn word from Christ to the leaders there. He who does not enter the door, excuse me, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. <clears throat> Yet, they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Amen. Amen. Last week, we really focused on verse 1, and what Jesus does in verse 1, really, he he gives us the, the difference between a true shepherd and a false shepherd. The shepherd comes in some other way. He, he gets to the sheep and into the sheep some other way. He climbs over a wall. He digs a ditch under the wall. He, he does something to get to the sheep, and he doesn't come for any good reasons. He comes as a thief and a robber. He comes to kill and to destroy. He does not come to care for God's people. And now what Jesus is going to do, now he's really going to focus on access to the sheep and the discernment of the sheep. Access to the sheep and the discernment to the sheep. Now, to, to, be, to be fair and straightforward, um, this, is, this is an easy passage to interpret because Jesus is going to interpret it for us in verses 7 and following. All I'm doing is taking these six verses and making application to us today. Jesus is going to give us the interpretation. I don't have to rush to give you the interpretation because it's here in verses 7 and following. Here what I'm doing primarily is giving application for today. I showed in the last week how God had prophesied. He had declared throughout the Old Testament that this would happen and he warned against false shepherds. They should have understood this, but they didn't because they were thieves and robbers and their ears were closed up. But now beginning at verse 2. First, we have the true shepherds and really their access to the sheep. So listen to how Jesus explains this. He says, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. He comes in the right way. I don't think we have to take every detail in these verses and, and, and apply them. So for example, we don't have to necessarily say, you know, the doorkeeper is the Holy Spirit or, or, or pick who it is because Jesus is going to give us an explanation of the parable. But what all of this reveals is proper access to the sheep. How a shepherd 
A true shepherd gets access to the sheep. Well, the doorkeeper knows him. Remember, we talked about how these pens were set up. There would be a small door. One sheep would be able to go in at a time. One little sheep would be able to come in and out at a time. Two sheep couldn't come in and out at the same time. And then there would be a door. And generally, what the doorkeeper would do is he would lay in that door. Keep any sheep from coming in and out. Keep, keep people from coming inside. And he would stand there, in essence, to protect them. He was usually hired by a group of shepherds, and he would be there to ensure that only the shepherd who had shepherds who had sheep's, sheep, excuse me, in those pen would come and get the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And this is uh, interesting. It's not, you know, you will hear preachers and commentators say things like each, you know, he would call each sheep by name. But that's, you know, you, you had sometimes sheep folds were 200 sheep. He'd be standing there for, you know, two hours calling them. They would know his voice. It would be a, a, either a distinct whistle or a distinct sound or maybe just the sound of his voice. The sheep would know it. They would recognize it. And all of these sheep would be mixed together. So let's say you had four shepherds who used one particular pen and each shepherd had 50 sheep. Well, shepherd number one comes and... And his sheep would perk up their ears. Maybe he'd have to call them two or three times, but only his sheep would come out. And you could find videos of this on YouTube. It's really cool. And they're walking out with all these sheep. And I mean, and then wherever the shepherd takes them, they just follow him. They trust him. They love him. He's cared for them. And when he brings out his own sheep, look, listen to the care now of the shepherd. He leads them out. And he brings them out to his, uh, excuse me, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So this focus is really on access to the sheep and the, and, um, the identity, in essence, or, or the work of, of a shepherd. The work of a shepherd. Now, this great and grand responsibility is something that Christ has purchased for his church. Shepherds, leaders of God's people, is something that in the work of Christ, Christ has purchased for his people. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. Was, uh, when we think about the work of Christ, rightly so, our emphasis or our mind generally goes to, you know, uh, uh, reconciliation, forgiveness, adoption, justification, sanctification, glorification, all are true. And they're all ours, and I think that's the right focus. But there is more that Christ has purchased for us by his death. Look at verse 7 in Ephesians chapter 4. But to each one of us, grace, has, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's this gift that Christ has for his people. And then he gives grace to each one. And, uh, and uh, if you remember Paul's conversation in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 and 12 and into 13, is that the Spirit distributes those gifts liberally. So that the eye can't say to the foot, hey, what, right? That body analogy. So Christ gives gifts. 
Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And that's what we'll focus on that. And he gave gifts to men. What does, what does the psalmist mean by when he ascended? Listen to Paul's interpretation. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He came to earth, right? He was in heaven, he came to earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So Jesus came in the incarnation, lived the perfect life, he was crucified, he died, was buried, he was raised from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. And he ascended into heaven that he might fill his people with these gracious gifts. And he himself gave some this gift to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some shepherds and teachers. So God gives pastors and teachers to the churches as a gift. It's a kind of, you know, these sermons can be self-congratulatory or like self you know, promoting. But these are Paul's words to his people. Elders are, are gifts to the church for a particular purpose. For what? For the building up of the body. That's what shepherds are given for. So that you might be built up in your faith. And then we have the time frame, you know, uh, Till, till the guy learns how to preach good enough, right? Verse 13 is till the guy learns how to preach good enough and uses your little church as a stepping stone to a bit better, bigger and better. No. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You know what that means? Till Jesus comes back or he dies. <laughs> to a perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, right? It's that language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what the pastor is supposed to do is build up the people so that they are more and more by the preaching of the word, by means of his prayer, through his interaction and life with them, they are conformed into the image of Christ. And of course, he receives that benefit and blessing from the people too, because he is a member of the church with them. <clears throat> the pastor does not have an extraordinary office like the, you know, like a prophet or anything like, or an apostle. He's a regular member of the church that in God's providential dealings has been given the gift to shepherd and teach God's people. But he is a member and he is to build them up. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Right? So that when a shepherd speaks, the people hear, oh yeah, that's, 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 a, shepherd. that's a good shepherd. I can, I can listen to him. Right? Because the people are built up, they're being mature. And when false shepherds speak, they're like, nope. I don't know that voice. That, does, that doesn't sound like someone who I could entrust myself to. I can't eat 
in the fields he wants to take me to. I should not drink of that water. It's not good for me because my shepherd has taught me what I ought to eat and where I ought to drink. Not because he is Lord over me, but because as a servant of Christ, he takes me to the scriptures and I'm built up by them. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men, with cunning craftiness of deceit plotting, but speaking truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So you have pastors, they are gifts to the church, and then the purpose for which they're given is to build up God's people so that God's people then may be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And he does this by means of the word. Look at Acts also, the book of Acts. In chapter 20, we'll look at verse 17 and then at verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. So as he's sailing along, he's going in in essence to, to Rome. From Miletus, verse 17, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So the elders come and listen to what he says to the elders beginning at verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves, and that, that, that yourselves, no, it's not yourself, right? He's talking to elders who were the elders of a church. So there's a plurality of elders, and he says to the elders, take care of yourselves together, not of yourself individually. And again, another argument for plurality of elders. Take care of yourselves and to all the flock, to every single member, right? That one sheep that for some reason has a tendency of biting you, you got to take care of that one, right? (laughs) There might be one sheep who's, you know, who's who's prone to like constipation and you've got to work with that one and and make sure it's getting enough grass and running enough and... (laughs) You know, it's not laying around being lazy. All the, uh, the whole flock. Now, now listen. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The, 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 the choice, right? the, the, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes men, right? So Christ gives these gifts and then the Holy Spirit works to pick individuals. But it's not like a mystical thing, right? Like if, if um, somebody walked through the door this morning and said, I'm the new pastor here. I woke, this morning when I was brushing my teeth, the Holy Spirit told me to come and tell you. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. <laughs> but, but how does the Spirit do this? Because He does. This, he does do this. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to shepherd the flock of God, which He purchased with His own blood. Very important, very precious to God because his son died for them. So how does he do this? Well, he does this by the common, the, what's usually, how it's usually stated is the common suffrage of the church, which is the church's agreement. 
And that idea of suffrage, that's an old word. What it means is it, it, it carries the implication of praying, fasting, strong consideration, right? But then there are also biblical qualifications, right? Remember, what Christ gives is grace or a gift of grace to those men. And it's not like an invisible grace. It's an active grace, right? The grace of God works in us. And then there are these qualifications that must be met for a man to be a pastor, and the Spirit of God working in the people of God, they'll be able to see those gifts because the gifts are outlined in the Bible. Look at First Timothy. Now, all, we're, all we're thinking about now is Christ's word that the good shepherd has access to the sheep. Right? So um, how is he granted this access? One, he's given the gift by God. The Spirit of God confirms those gifts and the means by which he does it is his people. The Holy Spirit does it by means of his people. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 2, Paul says this. I'll read verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, an elder, a pastor, an overseer, is it the same word, desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be. That's day, this is an, this is, this is, if he is not these things, he must not be a pastor. Right? These are non-negotiables, right? You can't come to these and say, blameless. Well, you know, the, the guy's a bit of a liar, and the people in the community knows he's prone to lying, but he teaches really well. No. He could be a member of the church. He could be, he could be among you as a, as, a, as a Christian, but he can't be a pastor. Blameless, the husband of one wife. You know, I always bring this up when people say women can be pastors, but here, you know, I think the, the Bible is pretty clear that lesbianism is a sin, right? And it says that a pastor must be the husband of one wife. Pretty simple. He must not be a promiscuous man, flirtatious, um, you know, long gazes at women who aren't his wife, that kind of thing, No. The, he must be the husband of one wife. He must be a, a, a he must be a faithful man, temperate. Uh, that's the idea of self control. He can't be overly indulgent, sober minded. He's clear thinking, good behavior. He acts well. He's hospitable. He opens up his home to people. He doesn't have a problem being around people, talking with people, interacting with them. Hospitable, able to teach. Besides this one, every man should be in here. Every, every man should be able to read this list and say, yeah, yep, that's me, yep, yep. And, but at some capacity, if he's a father, he also needs to be able to teach because he's got to teach his family. That's why it's not necessary for a man to be married to be a pastor, but it is actually very good for a man to be married and have children because you can tell, is this guy going to run you know, has he run his household well? How is his relationship to his wife and to his children? And how does he care for them? 
And what, what does that situation look like? You know, because if he can't take care of his own household, how will he take care of the household of God? He's not going to be able to. Able to teach, not given to wine. He doesn't have the, uh, an addiction. Not violent. Not greedy for money. But gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. Not new at being a Christian. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now think about it. If some dude popped in here and like um, just was candidating, and you don't know him, you don't know the church he comes from, and he's like, yeah, I'm a pastor. He preaches a couple good sermons, and you're like, yeah, that's the guy. Can you actually do what it says here? No. No. You can't. You really can't do this with any capacity unless there are some connections maybe, right? Like you, there's some relationship with his pastor and the church he's coming from, that kind of thing. You really can't do that. So um, how, how are these men, these shepherds, how are shepherds granted access to God's people? Well, they're given as to, they're given to the church by Christ as gifts. They're endowed by the Spirit with these gifts, and the people of God can see them. They're manifest before God's people, and God's people then can amen. Yeah, what God says in His Word, as far as we can tell, we're not omniscient, but it all lines up. That is how they are granted access to the sheep. But now look at the sheep. Let's turn our attention to the sheep. Because generally, the sheep aren't discussed in this passage. But Jesus does tell us some things about the sheep. Verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow them, for they know his voice. You know why they know his voice? Because he's not speaking for himself. He is speaking in the place of their Lord. Not like the Pope. He's not a Pope. He doesn't have that kind of power. He doesn't have that kind of authority. But as Peter tells us, we read this verse last week. I'll read it again because it is very helpful. 1 Peter 5. Look at 1 Peter 5. First Peter five one. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade. Likewise, you young people, submit yourselves to your elders. And that is not, that don't mean older people. That means the elders in the church. That's the context. Yes, all of you, be submissive 
to one another and clothe yourselves with humility. So the sheep, they, they are able to discern the voice of a true shepherd because the shepherd is speaking to them on earth right, as, as an under-shepherd of Christ. And what he does is he speaks the word of God to them. He doesn't speak his own words. The danger is that throughout the New Testament, Jesus gives these stern warnings about deception and deceit. L listen to some of these warnings. Here's why it's important for God's people to have discernment, biblical discernment, to know how to distinguish between the truth and error. Look, if I go to your house and you are, you know, and you've got a bookshelf full of like Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, I'm going to be very worried about you. Unless, you know, uh, unless it's like there's a banner over that bookshelf that says, you know, heresy. <laughs> and it's just like for personal study, you know, developing your discernment. Um, look at, listen to, I'm, I'm just going to read some of these warnings about, that, that Jesus gives with regards to false prophets and false shepherds. In Acts 13.22, Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise. They, they, count, count on it. They will arise and show signs and wonders with a purpose to deceive. If possible, even the elect. Even those whom Christ has chosen. If Possible. Is it possible? No, not for long. Not for long. Not for long. Look at Acts. We'll, we'll turn back to Acts 20. I read verse 28, but now look at the rest of the warning that Paul gives there to the Ephesian elders. So he doesn't just give this warning to the uh, congregation generally, but he also gives this warning to shepherds. So a shepherd, he, he's not being intrusive if he finds out that you're like on a big Charles Stanley or Steve Furtick kick and, and he comes to you and he says, you need to stop listening to that. That stuff is not good for you. He's not being intrusive. Listen to, listen to what Paul says. And now remember in verse 28, what did he say? That Jesus, that God purchased the church with his own blood. Jesus died for these people, and you're the overseer of their, right? You're, you're the overseer that has been placed among them. Also, from outside. Oh, so what he says. He says, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. That means in your own church. There's going to be people who rise up and they will try to take some of your sheep, right? You've been raising this sheep for a long time and you always thought, man, he looks strange, you know? <laughs> but he's acting like a sheep, but he kind of looks like a, like a dog almost, this creature, you know? Not quite sure what it is. And then... And from among yourselves, men will arise speaking perverse things, teaching false doctrine. That's what that means, speaking perverse things, teaching false doctrine to draw away disciples after themselves. That's not what a pastor does. 
If a pastor is trying to like, you know, the, the, uh, it's really hip to build your brand. People use that kind of language in churches now. You're not building, no, you're building Christ's kingdom, right? By means of preaching the word, the, the ordinances of the church, praying for God's people, doing evangel. That's what you're doing. You're not building a brand. That is ridiculous. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. It, this was a constant reminder. Be careful. Be watchful. Watch your doctrine. Watch your teaching. Watch the doctrine and the teaching and the practice of the people in the church. Be on alert. Look out. Be watchful. And there are many other passages where um, Paul exhorts along this line. Let, let, uh, one more. We'll look at um, we'll look at Second Peter. Look at Second Peter and chapter two, verses one through three. Second Peter chapter two, verses one through three. But there were also false prophets among the people, Old Testament believers. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the truth, excuse me, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Serious warnings, right? And how, where are they coming from? Is this, they're outside? No, they, they come into the church, and then from the church, they arise. That's why the pastor has to labor really hard to teach his people the truth, so that they can discern. So then when false teachers arise in the church, the people can have this discerning ear. Oh no, that, that's contrary to what God says here, and over here, and over here. And you don't look like a sheep anymore. My, my, why are your teeth so big? <laughs> right. And why is this the case with God's people? Well, very easy. Look at this promise that God makes in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31. And specifically, I'm going to look at verse 33. This is the promise of the new covenant. This is what Christ does for his people. This is what the Spirit works in His people. When the gospel is preached and the Spirit works to cause men to understand what Christ has done for them, this is one of the gifts that they receive. Look at verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
Now look at what is added, sort of to explain what he's saying here. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. So among the congregation of God's people in the Old Testament, and let's, you know, when they were living in the promised land, let's say, you know, right after Joshua helped them conquer everything, every once in a while you would probably have to go to your neighbor's house, knock on the door and share the gospel with him because he wasn't converted. But in the new covenant, what he's saying is that that's not what I'll do. The members of that covenant will all be Christian. We will no longer have to say to our neighbor, know the Lord. Why? And every man his brother, know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. They will know the Lord. God's people, those who are Members of the new covenant will all know God. You know, this is, again, right, this is the reason why we don't baptize children because they can't make a profession of faith and because there, there is no thing, there isn't, uh, there isn't any doctrinal teaching in the New Testament that says that my faith in God is sufficient for my child to be in this new covenant. And the idea that we ought to assume the conversion of our children because I'm a Christian, I assume my kids are converted, that is bonkers. That is contrary to what the new covenant is. Because God does something in the heart. He changes <clears throat> he changes us. He bring, changes an, such an understatement because he brings us out of death to life. So this is the promise of the new covenant. And then, because this promise is stated this way, all of these applications in the New Testament now begin to make sense. Look at 1 John. We're going to look at uh, uh, two texts in 1 John. They're very close together. And then one in John 8. Look at 1 John. So, so now, you know, in all honesty, if there is a friend that you have who, you know, they're given over to heretical teaching and they profess to be Christians and they've been enraveled in all kinds of different heresies or maybe the same heresy for decades, they're probably not sheep. Look at 1 John 2, 20. 1 John 2, 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, oh, I'm reading John, uh, 1 John 4, I'm sorry, uh, 2, uh, 20. 1 John 2, 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. That, okay, so this is uh, an overstatement by John, for a purpose. It doesn't mean that you know everything, right? So if I were to, which I don't know any quantum physics, but I put up some quantum, if Logan looked up a problem and he put it on this board, I don't, you know, there might be some in here, but not everybody. So he doesn't mean you know every single thing. That's not his point. Listen, Listen to what they do know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. And here, of course, it's the gospel. And in this particular epistle, what he's focusing on is the divinity of Christ and the work that Christ accomplishes in the life of God's people. 
I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Now here's one of the lies that they had been hearing. Who is a liar for he who, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So this knowing the truth has to do with biblical truth, doctrinal truth. Um, you know, reading and studying your Bible is not something like for super special Christians. If you don't read and study your Bible, if you have no discernment, like if some Jehovah's Witness is at your job rattling off a bunch of nonsense to people, and you can't even in your mind think to yourself, I know like four passages that'll like blow this heretic out of the water. I'm not going to do it right now because I don't want to get fired, but I've got them. <laughs> if, if you can't do it, well, shame on you. Shame on you. Because the Spirit works truth in the heart of His people. Look at verse 26, same chapter. These things I write to you concerning those who try to deceive you. You see how John has taken that exhortation that Paul gives the Ephesian elders. John was a, was a pastor at the church at Ephesus. How he takes that exhortation... and. I'm not saying he was there in Acts 20. Sometime after that, he was in that area. But how he takes that exhortation, shepherd the flock who God purchased with his own blood because false wolves are going to come in. And he says, I am explicitly telling you these things. I have written these things concerning those who are trying to deceive you, those who want to lie to you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. What's that anointing? Well, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit. It's the new heart. It's the new birth. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. Now, again, right? A caveat. He's uh, using hyperbole. Because what's he doing in this epistle? He's teaching them. If, if, he, if they didn't need anybody to teach them, there wouldn't be a first John. He's actually teaching them. But what he means is you don't need something new. You, know? you don't need some guy to show up to your house riding a bike with a little name tag to tell you, you know, actually, you know, there are gods all over the place. And there's actually this God who runs our universe who has a bunch of wives who are eternally pregnant, and when she has spirit babies, they are like jammed into um, physical babies, and they forget that they were spiritual beings. That's Mormonism. Well, you don't need that. We don't need that new teaching. We don't need the book of the Latter-day Saints. We don't need that. We don't need the Quran. We don't need the uh, uh, Catholic Church with all of its traditions. We don't need the Eastern Orthodox Church. We don't need the modern church with uh, critical race theory. We don't need the modern church with all of the stuff that they've added to the Bible and to Christianity to make it hip and cool. We don't need that. We don't need anybody to teach us none of that garbage. That's a loose paraphrase of what John says here. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, 
just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. You won't depart from his teachings. Listen to how John, same author, puts it in the gospel, John chapter 8. John 8.31. Then, uh, John 8.31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Indeed, really, truly, Actually, you are my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So if somebody says, you guys, you know you can't eat pork, right? You can't eat pork. You can't, you know, that's against the dietary laws or some kind of cockamamie crazy idea like that. But immediately, you should think to yourself, this person is a deceiver or they're deceived, right? And usually it goes hand in hand. That's not, no, that's not true. A Christian will know that's not truth. The Spirit will work in that person. And when the Word of God is shown to that person, you know what they'll do? Oh, wow. They'll be like the Bereans. Oh, that's the truth. Now, so, so what ought you to do? Look, look at Paul. I, w- I want to take a, um, the exhortation in Hebrews 5 and make this a point of application and we can close here. Paul says, Paul says, uh, you know, this is amazing because he's talking about Melchizedek. And he says in verse 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And I'm like upset, like, my goodness, these Hebrews, you know, I wish they weren't because I want to know more about Melchizedek, you know, and if they weren't, I would know more. But he says to them, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. What a shame. He's he's writing to this congregation and he says to them, "I, I would have shared with you some more just theological truth to help you put together your Bibles and understand the work of Christ and the relationship with Melchizedek and his ministry. But I can't because you're not mature enough. Like you've not grown enough where you can teach the basic principles of the Bible to someone. And this is, this is something that ought to do two things. It should cause shame, but it should also be fuel for repentance. Lord God, I repent. I don't want to be that way. I want to know my Bible. And again, I'm not saying here that you need to learn Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. and No. With your English Bible, over time, reading it, praying over it, 
you can learn. Listening to your pastor, being engaged in the teaching that we're doing in the church, asking good questions, listen, right? getting good resources, finding other good pastors that have written books or preached sermons or taught lectures and educating yourself. You can get strong too. You could, you could be one of those who, as Paul says here, you eat prime rib. You have come to need milk and not solid food. Right? It's like Joanna. Joanna loves that milk. It's perfect for her. Right? It's suited exactly for her. But if she could eat steak, she'd grow a lot faster. <laughs> for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to of those who are of full age. And listen, this is not just like, the, he's not just talking about theological wranglings, right? Like making a, a dummy account on Facebook to argue with Arminians, you know? That's <laughs> not what he's talking about here. Um, but solid food belongs to those who are full, uh, of full age, who are mature. That is... And this is what he means by mature. He doesn't mean uh, elderly, high in years, anything like that. What he means is those who by reason of use. Well, what does that, what, is, what does he mean? By practice. By practice. Those who by practice have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. They can sit with their Bibles open and when somebody's teaching, they can say, oh, that guy's off. That's not good. That, that is not good biblical teaching. That's, and for look, for husbands, it's imperative. You've got to know how to do... You, you've got to be able to sit with your wife on the couch and turn on the heretics and say, oh, you look, that's wrong. Pause it. Let me show you over here in Isaiah and Jeremiah how this guy's just out of his mind. Right? Husbands ought to be able to do this because not only should you be able to provide for your family financially which is very important, but spiritually. You need to be able to protect them, to lead your family. This is not a small thing. And for those of you who don't have husbands, and you're sitting here, and you're thinking, oh, I need a husband then. No, you need to read your Bibles too. (laughs) Because he's speaking corporately to them. And he says that some of you should be teachers. And remember that in Titus 3, he tells the older women, you ought to teach, you ought to be able to teach the younger women. You know, when these, you know, young ladies start coming to the church, either aren't married or are married, and the older women ought to be able to to bring these women along and teach them the basic principles of the faith and how to conduct themselves in their household in a way that honors God. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And if you have a congregation that can't do that, that that congregation is going to, it's going to disappear. They, They will not be around long. The church will divide, it will split, people will be gone. Why? Because wolves are, they're coming. Right? The more our church grows the more you'll, you'll have those kinds of issues. Right? You'll have people with theological views that are aberrant, practices that are ungodly, and we ought to be able to speak the truth in love. 
right? Hopefully, what our prayer is that we could snatch them out of the fire, as uh, Peter says. But sometimes that's not the case, right? And we have to put them out. So, back to John 10. We'll close here. John 10. So you see now, right? The uh, access to the sheep and the discernment of the sheep. That's what Jesus focuses here. And of course, these are, he's just setting forth general principles. Now, you think about it in the context. When the Pharisees, who did not have biblical access, should not have had biblical access to the sheep, when they said to the blind man's parents, who healed this man? You know what, if they were sheep, what they should have said? Oh, it was Jesus. And put us out of the synagogue then. Big deal. You guys are false shepherds anyways. You're not caring for us. What, what does it matter? Right? Because when they, if, if they would have been put out with their son, guess who would have been right behind them? Jesus. Just like he did find that blind man. He came, he came, he came. When he found out that they had kicked him out, he, okay, he looked for him. And he found him. And he spoke the truth to him and he preached the gospel to him. So, um, Verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke. They didn't get it. They were sitting there thinking, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. Now beginning at verse 7, Jesus is going to give us uh, an illustration, excuse me, the interpretation of his illustration, and he is going to apply it to himself now. So now we understand the illustration, right? Uh, He warns about false teachers. He gives us the evidence for or the indicators that somebody has access to the sheep. And then he talks to us about the sheep, right? the discernment of the sheep. Next, we will pick it up at verse 7 and we will read uh, Jesus' interpretation and application of these truths to himself as the good shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that Um, You, by your grace, have given to us, Lord, a partnership with the biblical church where there are men who help us to oversee this congregation. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to raise up men here uh, to help us to lead this church. And we ask generally, Lord, that you would give the men and women and children in this congregation biblical discernment, help them to grow up into the full stature of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.